From Centered, welcome to the Take Root Podcast, where our purpose is to share testimonies that encourage you to deepen your roots of faith. Join host Karen Johnson to hear stories of those who have experienced God directing their own lives to a deeper, engaged faith. So, hey everyone, welcome to the Take Root Podcast, where we encourage one another to grow deep in our faith and consider what our role is in the movement of God and One of the ways we're encouraged in this is to hear one another's stories and learn from them. We get to hear from amazing people on this podcast and their intentionality about growing deeper in their walk with Jesus. And today I get to introduce you to my dear friend, Tyler Gorsline, who's now the lead pastor at A Seattle Church. Before planning this church with Tim Gatos, Tyler and I worked together at Centered. And he uh, worked in helping us in building Jesus-centered relationships between current and emerging leaders. And he is still at work doing that and much more in uh, the Seattle area through his church. So, Tyler, hi. Welcome. Hi. Good to talk to you. My privilege. Yeah. yeah, So happy to see you. I wish everybody could see you. (laughs) I know. I love love being with you, Karen. And so everybody's going to miss out on seeing us enjoy each other's presence. They'll just have to hear it. For sure. Well, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about you and your family and yeah. Yeah. Who are you, Tyler Gorsline? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I, great question. Try to keep it simple, but I am married to Kimberly. We met at Seattle Pacific University when we were very young undergraduates. We didn't get our ring by spring, which is we didn't get married by the time we graduated but we got married a year out when we were, you know, much more mature. You know, we were so (laughs) proud of ourselves. Uh, We since, uh, we've lived in Seattle uh, since uh, both of us came here in 2004 for college. And then, yeah, got married in 2009. And then uh, has since have three daughters, Miriam, who is six, Evie, who is four, and then our uh, youngest, Ariel, or Ari, as we call her, who is 18 months old. We live in Northeast Seattle. Yeah, as you mentioned, I lead a Seattle church where I was the co-founding pastor, my friend Tim, and that was kind of a rolling start. I'm sure I'll be able to tell that story, but we, you know, serve in South Lake Union primarily. Lots of young professional adults who work for Amazon and Facebook and Google and all the Seattle headquarters of those communities. In fact, we meet in a Co- well, we met before this is being recorded during COVID-19. Yes. Uh, before we were staying at home, we met in a place called The Collective, which is a co-working social club for millennial entrepreneurs, 1,500 millennial-based entrepreneurs for the most part. And we meet in that space and serve alongside them, serve our homeless neighbors, serve Currently, we're serving medical professionals with our landlords who, none of which know Jesus, but they're people of peace. They're amazing. And we love collaborating with them. And so, yeah, that's a bit about me. That's so cool. So you are right now, as you said, we are all staying safe and at home. And so yes. you are in the middle of a crazy time with three little ones yes. in the household and trying to hold everything. Like many young parents, we were just talking about that. What, what's the greatest challenge in that for you right now? That's a great question. It's to decide which is the greatest challenge. I think, you know, you have to start with yourself. And I'm realizing that this moment of being home with my kids, my wife and I are splitting time. She runs an interior design business and normally works 
three days a week and we have a nanny and then I work five days a week and we work it out. But we're just with our kids home from school. We are homeschooling them and no seminary degree prepared me for homeschooling a kindergartner and a four-year-old. <laughs> and I, the biggest challenge I think is just seeing what comes up in myself, to be honest, like anger, impatience, just my expectations of how much I can control and make my life happen and how much impact I can make and how much I can help in a moment like this, where I have all sorts of ambition to lead our community, to do good things that would love and serve the world. And yet I have to serve my kids who are right in front of me and do dishes constantly. All day long, it feels like I'm doing dishes. And so I am getting a front row seat to just having to be that, you know, I, I, big shout out to the moms out there who, you know, are the parents who stay at home regularly. Yeah. I'm, I'm learning a whole lot about myself mm-hmm. and it's hard. Yeah, it's good, but it's hard. That's something I've always loved about you, Tyler, is your, your vulnerability, you know, that you'd be willing to say that. Oh, sure. <laughs> no, that's, I think that helps a whole lot of other people feel better right now to hear you say, yeah. that. oh my gosh, there's a pastor and he's struggling with this too. Because everybody, yeah. every parent out there with little kids at home is struggling with it. I mean, I guarantee that's. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, it's overwhelming in it. You know, I know we, we've thought talked about even, you know, we'll probably get to this as well, but just some processing of grief and what that looks like. And I know that this moment is showing me the things in me that aren't yet processed. And that's, it's, it's the crisis precedes change as this person, Mark Sayers, who's a anthropologist and a pastor in news and, and Australia talks about moments like this beget us becoming different people. Mm -hmm. And whether I would like to be vulnerable or not, I am, and we all are. And so it's, it's requiring, if, I'm, if I answer you honestly, which I hope is, is what you want people to do on this podcast, yeah. then, I, then I have to say those things yeah. because yeah. I would like to say like, I'm doing good and yeah. it's great, but it's just a, it's a time of growth for me and I think my whole family and we're all learning, yeah. our church as well. Yeah, everyone's learning. Yeah. Well, listen, let me, I'd love to um, have you share with us a little bit about the beginnings of a Seattle church. How did that come about? And yeah, what's that been like for you? Tell me about that. Yeah, some quick snapshots. Fortunate, came to faith through Young Life, and then quickly realized all I wanted to do as I was 17 at the time was tell kids about Jesus and take them to camp. I didn't know that was possible. And then I realized, wait, there's these things called Christian colleges and I can learn about Jesus and learn about people. And so felt God give me the nudge to come to Seattle at SPU, Seattle Pacific University had amazing father, mother figures of faith that I didn't grow up with as someone who didn't grow up in the church at all. And so what happened quickly was I just realized I could potentially do this for a living for my life. And so right after graduation, went to work for a great church in town, working with college students. And then the recession hit and there were no jobs. And so I was fortunate to get a job in recruitment, which ultimately led to me just serving at a church that I was at for a number of years and then became a pastor. Well, funny story is six months into my first job as a pastor, I got laid off and it was devastating And I got laid off very simply because the lead pastor didn't like me. (laughs) I mean, this is just very like, I learned what what Sky Jatani calls the evangelical industrial complex, which is like, you learn quickly that if you don't, you know, 
if you don't play by the rules, you, you, will, you will learn it. And what it did for me is huge. And this is how it pertains to starting a Seattle church mm-hmm. is one, it, I experienced wounding from the church as someone who didn't grow up in it. Yeah. And I, in that, didn't realize how much that would be a huge part of my ministry into the future. And two, it solidified, I realized that I started to like give up some of my convictions about discipleship and about helping people to follow Jesus, to be liked by my boss, to be liked, mm-hmm. to succeed in the context of a mega church culture, right? Okay. And so what ended up happening out of that is my wife and I, we discerned, we had all these questions. Okay, God, I got laid off. What do we do? And weird enough, because of the notoriety of the community that I was a part of, I got job opportunities across the country to work for churches, to work for Young Life, dream job opportunities. But through that entire time in prayer, we felt that God was saying, say no to those things, which included security, the big name community, security of money, security of a cool location, you know, serving in Manhattan, wouldn't that be cool? And we decided to stay in Seattle because we had a friend who was in his late 30s at the time I was 26, who didn't know Jesus and God kept putting him on my heart. And so we stayed in Seattle. We said no to the job opportunities elsewhere. And we thought that in three to five years, we would plant a church, that I'd finish seminary and that we'd plant a church. So here's where it gets funny. And I hope that's followable as I've been sharing it. Okay, that's not even a word, I think, but we'll go with it. I hope you're following. I like so, words. <laughs> me too. Uh, so uh, what ended up happening is in that time, Jeff Vansel, who you know you work with and has been a mentor and a discipler of me, really we just were navigating questions of calling together. And I said, well, I feel like God's calling me to stay here. And he invited me to partner with the Centered Team. Yeah. And... It was the most healing and beautiful experience of leadership development for me because it was the first time I felt as like the youngest person in the room, I could push back against a room that was filled with these accomplished leaders who, leaders in industry, you know, leaders in ministry, I would be at the table planning these events, these Jesus-centered events, and was mind blown that they could handle like me being the honest young person in the room who would say things like, I don't think that's going to reach my generation or uh, have you thought about this? Or what about the women leaders? You know, like we just would have these very candid conversations and they were secure enough in their identity to not only hear me, but to take my recommendations. And it was incredibly empowering and healing. Well, that's happening. I'm loving my job. And I think I'm going to stay here, do this ministry for three to five years, maybe even longer. And then I, we do the Seattle prayer breakfast. I meet my friend, Tim Gatos and Tim had been a pastor at a huge mega church in town that had literally like went from zero to 15,000 people in 15 years. Uh And then within one calendar year started to implode because of bad leadership. And ultimately he, Tim, because he's a compassionate guy was helping as a former pastor in that community to serve people who had felt church hurt from that community. Yeah, yeah. And I meet him and I'm like, hey, I know about you and your ministry in Seattle. I think I want to plant a church here one day. You're the urban church planner guy. We should talk. So we get together. We have this like, did we just become best friends moment? Because we were very similar. Like, how do we serve the city? How do we not come to the city to get from it? Like, how do we love and serve people 
who've been hurt by the church? How do we love people who don't have faith at all? And he invites me, famous last words, if I would have known what I know now, he invites me to come over and start to join this little Bible study that's happening for all these church hurt folks. I walk in the room and I realize I'm like the other guy in the room. Everybody else had been a part of this one community and I never thought I fit in in that community. But I start serving about for about nine months or so, just helping out. I would teach on occasion. That community, along with Tim, asked me to co-plant this group that turned from a small group into about 70 folks. Wow. And I, of course, in tears, came back to Jeff and said, the very thing that you've set out to do, which is to develop leaders, I think it's happened to me. <laughs> and the problem is... That's not going to be good for you because it's going to mean I'm going to transition into leading this community. And like, there's nothing in the world I'd rather do than continue to be blessed by being a part of this, but I need to give away what I've received. Yeah, I remember so, really sad when, a deep sadness that you yes. were our, our little team because you were such an integral part of it. And I, and I felt like what you were just saying, I thought, oh my gosh, we can't lose this voice. We need- Yeah, that's kind- this young person here who is teaching us, but then we gained Grant. And so we're. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He's amazing. And, and, you know, and this, it's just amazing for me reflecting back because, you know, that's just getting to the beginning of the church. And that was January, 2014. We launched in October, 2015 in South Lake union because we, we waited because of the pain and hurt that our, folks were going through as they were processing this church imploding in their midst. And what was so amazing is to be a part of, you know, whether I was on the staff or not, you know, anymore with you, Karen, what was incredible is I knew I had all of these kingdom advocates who were people I could turn to and people who helped support me and sent me into this ministry, supporting me financially, amazing support, amazing encouragement. And so I've always felt like I've been a part of this family. And so it's been huge. It's taught me a lot. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you continue to be just an incredible teacher. And recently at one of our events down the leadership event in Olympia, I got to hear you speak about to our young people that were there about lamenting and how critical it is to learn the importance of that in order to grow, take that next step. Of, of depth in our faith to grow our roots deep into God's love. And I was really taken aback by that. And then we, that was like the week before all this came down with this yes. stay at home, stay safe thing. And, and I, I have been thinking a lot about that and about how we are in a time of communal grieving that That's we've right. never known before across the world. And all the stages of grieving are happening and people might feel all of a sudden angry and sniff at somebody and they don't even know that that's part of their grieving process. And, and, you know, all those stages of grief of denial and anger and bargaining and, and maybe finally acceptance. And now they're adding a sixth stage that is about meaning what's on the other side of this. And I think you touch on some of that. So could you talk about what you shared? I I know you don't have a lot of time here, but why is that? What is it? And why is it so important for us as believers to understand it and enter into it? Yeah. You know, there's that old leadership saying that says like your system is perfectly designed to get you the results that you are getting. And I think in our American culture, we've built a system 
that is perfectly designed to not grieve. We've done everything to medicate and distance ourselves, whether it's you know from the elderly in our community or injustice around us. Uh, but most most importantly, in our own hearts, grieving uh, is the hardest thing to do because you are completely out of control, yeah. in the sense that you have to feel things that you cannot do anything about except go through and find hope on the other side of, you know, new life after death. I saw this meme this week that uh, was talking about how being alone with our thoughts and the stay at home time, people are like baking loaves of bread because it would be better to do that than to have to be alone with our thoughts. And I think, you know, we just are so, you know, in general, it just hurts. It hurts to hurt, you know, and the hardest way to grieve is to do it for yourself. And I think um, in that God invites us to see that perhaps why we're so sped up all the time, perhaps why we're so over-entertained, perhaps why we were overwork, perhaps why we get our identity in so many things except who God tells us that we are is because it feels unacceptable to mourn and lament either what we can't control mm-hmm. or what's happened to us mm-hmm. or what we can't change. Because then we'd have to really trust God with it. Yes. And so that's been something that I feel grateful that I've had a whole series of pain in my upbringing, things I couldn't control. And then in my life as a pastor, being around people who are have experienced unthinkable things is that I think God is inviting us all through this time to experience what we've been putting off. Yeah. Uh, in hopes that we can find hope because I don't know any other way to go into new life except through death in some sense. I think grieving is that it's a, it's a death to whatever it is that we thought we could control or be okay with. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. I, I'm trying to think. So how would you, how, how do you help someone who comes to you and they're really struggling with grief over something or pain from the past or how do you yeah. take the first step towards that? What does that look like? Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've been thinking about this a lot because I am a empathetic person to a fault. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes what that means is, and I think we're also in a therapeutic culture. Mm-hmm. And so I can step in as the counselor instead of being someone who ushers people into the presence of the counselor, being the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's really easy for me, you know, to be like, oh, totally, I feel you. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Uh, and I learned from another person in the centered community, Jamie Winship, we've talked about how empathy isn't taking on somebody's emotions or compassion, but rather it's, it's a term from the first century where the theater, someone would put on the mask of the other character for a moment, hmm. but then they would take back off that mask or they'd go back into their character but they wouldn't become that other person's emotion. And I think what very practically, specifically, ways that I'm trying to help other people grieve or I've seen it work healthily is when someone sits with you but seeks to not kind of quickly get you out of the pain as if it's an injustice that you're going through it, Mm -hmm. but rather invites God's presence to meet you in that pain Mm -hmm. and to, you know, pray with someone when they're undone. And just say, hey, what, is, what does God say to you? Who, who, what do you think God wants you to know about this? Or even why do you want to not grieve? Or why, do you not, why is this unacceptable? Why does this hurt so much? 
what might God want to do with this? You know, cause you know, there's just so much that we can't control. And I think God is the one who meets us in that. And so that helps a lot. Yeah. And what happens when you get on your knees and grieve deeply with God Yeah. and pour out your soul to him? And maybe don't feel like you're hearing anything back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a great, great writing on this about, you know, the, the, the sense of the dark night of the soul yes. uh, that is a common or the wall yes. that is commonly hit um, where it seems like God is more present to us in the beginning of the journey. And then in the complexity, like we can't hear him. Uh, but one thing I've, I mean, to be honest with you, I've watched my wife. She lost her father about a year ago in a tragic accident, unexpectedly, you know, safest person you'd ever know, trained other people on motorcycles, police officer who trained other people how to be safe, died in a motorcycle accident. And seeing her go through the seasons of not wanting to listen, because it would be the stage of grief that she would have to accept that this is even real, mm-hmm. to being willing to listen. And then eventually hearing God. And I think that's one of the things about grief that I've learned through both watching her and seeing God move more powerfully in her life than ever before. Mm -hmm. Seeing God give us words of encouragement about our kids' health. You know, I have three little girls that have health complexities and, you know, being seen by God, Mm -hmm. sensing that God is with us. I think is even more important than the answers that God gives us. Yeah. Oh, that's so um, I think knowing that God is there, even if we, we doubt it, choosing to trust that that's true, or when we can't, inviting community. Because I, I think we often think about grieving alone. Like, it's embarrassing. I don't want to accept this. But having somebody stand beside you and be like, all right, well, if you don't hear God, I'm just going to sit here with you in it. And I'm going to trust for you. I'm going to believe for you that God is present in this and even being a space as well, where someone can really let loose and be angry and get out their frustration. I remember with my wife, we went to, we've been going to this prayer gathering once a month and it was her idea, which is really awesome because when you're married to a pastor, they, they send you, they're like, come with me to every ministry event ever. And you're like, Oh, great. (laughs) So she, in the midst of her grieving felt God give her a nudge through someone who had reached out to her. She's an interior designer and a general contractor reached out to her and said, Hey, I got a vision for how God, you know, I think, you know, just for what it's worth about your dad. And I just want to send it to you. And so that led us down this road to show up to this prayer gathering an hour away. And it was her idea. And we went and, you know, some of those rides were her just getting out her anger towards God. And ultimately what's beautiful on the other side of that, and she'd be okay with me telling these things is, I think over time, that was her grieving. And I think, you know, being able to hear God is a matter of not if, but when. And I think God sometimes gives us space to keep leaning in Mm -hmm. and doesn't speak as fast as we expect him to. And I think that's part of the lamenting process is like, it's got to get really, really dark. It's got to get really honest. Mm And sometimes God says, so are you ready? Do you want to hear what I have to say? Mm-hmm. And it's been amazing because on the other side of that, my wife's ears have been more sensitive to the Lord than I think ever in her life. Wow. Um, it hasn't changed the pain. It hasn't taken it away, but God has been with her in it. And then 
she's been able to be with other people in their pain too. And so I think it's pretty profound. That's wonderful. And that's such an important truth to, to recognize that and claim, just to claim the truth that God is with me, whether I can feel it or not. And yes. He is actually weeping with me in this yep. space. And yeah. I think it's important for, and for us to be willing as believers to, you know, to not come with a whole bunch of, have you thought of this? Have you looked at the scripture? Have you, you know, yes, maybe God did this for a reason. You know, those are such hurtful things that people say out, out of good intent. Yes. It's so important. Like you said, sometimes to just go sit with someone. Yep. I'm going to believe for you and with you that God is here loving you and crying with you. And I'll just yeah. say in that. Yes. Yeah. It seems to me, man, hearing that, like the difference between being acquainted with grief, mm. which is what the scriptures tell us about Jesus, that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with right. grief right. and someone wanting to get rid of our grief <laughs> like here's the scriptures because i don't want to be acquainted with it like yeah. i don't want it i don't i feel uncomfortable about the pain which is like you know part of our moment right now is that none of us know how to feel because it's so disruptive and so disorienting and yet i think knowing who does knowing who is like the most acquainted with our lament with our grief with our loss knowing that jesus literally identified with it like that that's part of who he is and the world has been a significant help and i think the opposite of like if we're, we refuse to be acquainted with grief i think we grieve the holy spirit which is what it says in ephesians it says you know that we're people who he gives us all these different paul gives the ephesians all these different examples of how to love yeah and most of them are like forgiving they're like you know repentance not lying or cheating or stealing and those are all things that i think we do when we are unwilling to feel the pain, it's like, I don't want to do this. So I need to take something or I need to not forgive this person. And I think we do grieve the Holy Spirit in the like unhealthy kind of way. And so I am. Um, it's true. Yeah. I'm just, I'm with you. Yeah. I think that's so, so important, Karen, what you're saying. Yeah. And, and right now in this time of COVID-19, everybody in the whole world is experiencing some kind of loss. Yep. They've lost something, whether it's their freedom or their school or their the seniors who've lost all their last memories of, of their senior year and all of that. Yeah. Loss of a loved one that you didn't even get to go say goodbye to. I mean, that's the one that just grips my heart. And, and yes. when I, uh, as I was saying earlier to you, I do believe that God is going to bring more people into the heart of his love, that there's going to be a softening of people's hearts toward the Lord because they know they're out of control. You know, we're out of control, all of us. And what can we do but turn to him? And, and that is my yeah. that that will happen. But what would you say to people who are people of faith and they're in this time right now and they're feeling a bit lost and experiencing loss and they're, they're maybe at a plateau in their walk with the Lord and they, what would you, as, as kind of a closing thing here, is there one step that you might give them a, a small thing, take a step to do this to, that will take you deeper into your walk with Jesus? 
Yeah, that's a great question. One thing that comes to mind is, you know, it's, it's funny from Alcoholics Anonymous, they have the serenity prayer, right? Which is to accept things we cannot change, change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference. And I grew up as a a kid in AA because my dad was in the AA program. And so I'd go visit him in Alaska and I'd sit in the basement of Lutheran churches with all these like haggard uh, folks and, you know, drink licorice tea and, and, and just, you know, hear their stories, which are wide eyed for a young man. But I, um, I, that's been ringing in my head a lot of late is because people are talking about this time is not an interruption because uh-huh. an interruption means you get back to normal, uh-huh. uh, but instead that it's a disruption. And the way that a disruption works is it changes the fundamental essence of things and everything is a new normal afterward. So like things as we know them are disrupted and they won't be the same again. And so what that's going to mean is that we have the opportunity to, if I were to do one thing, and I'll just speak from my experience, I've been walking every day. Um, which is something I've never done repetitiously in my life is just, I start every work day with a walk and that includes conversation with God, shooting emails, um, you know, calling folks, just praying, reading scripture, listening to a podcast. It, It varies by day, but what it's done is it's helped to generate my movement from feeling like I'm just spending my time going like, why can't we go back to Egypt? Uh, because I think, I don't believe that we liked it the way it was. Yeah. I think most of us would have said, if only I spent more time with my kids, or if only I spent more time with the Lord, or if only I could work from home in my pajamas, if only, (laughs) uh, like all of these, if onlys. And I think the opportunity is to step into a new future that is not just about, man, the loss of control. I can't change the fact that, uh, and they're real losses, yes. but, you know, job or family or those things you mentioned, but instead it's an opportunity to go to God and say, okay, if I take a walk with you and I ask you, Lord, what is it that you want me to know? What is it that I can't change? What is it that I can change? Mm-hmm. And will you give me wisdom to know the difference so that my new normal can be healthier than it's ever been? Because it's going to be different. And so I think that's probably my summation of how I'm trying to grieve in this moment and trying to also find new life in the moment. That is so good. That's a great step to go for a walk, say the serenity prayer, ask God, what do you want me to know? Yeah. What do you want me to do? And, and help me to let go. Yeah. All the things I can't control. Wow. That's, that's a great finish there. So Ephesians 3.17 says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots mm. will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So that's a great, great advice for a step in that direction. So thank you so much, Tyler. Love thank you. you for having me. And God bless you and bless your family. Say I had to give my love to Kimberly and the kids. And Will do. God bless. And for those of you listening, be sure to listen in next time to another great voice of wisdom that we'll get to hear from. Okay, bless you. Talk to you later. Bless you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Take Root Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and share. 
To learn more about Centered and hear more stories of discovery and growth in Jesus, visit us at centered.org.